you know, I wish I had a studio, mm-hmm. but I don't have it. Like, I'm, no, I mean like a recording studio where I can just invite people over. Mm-hmm. It's cool that I can travel around with this, that mm-hmm. that's actually technologically possible nowadays, but the conditions are different each time and then yeah. I have to set up and it'd be cool if people could just walk in and... But that's pretty much how, you know, it sort of like reflects uh, the way we live and also the way that music works. Because if you take your music to a um, concert hall, you don't know what would be the situation. It's always different. There might be noisy audience or not the right acoustic. And so I think we as composers or musicians or performers, you have to deal with sort of adjusting your sounds into the space. Do you do that though? Uh, is it like failure sometimes? Does it work sometimes? Does it not work sometimes? Well, when I'm actually there, because you know, when you get concerts, uh, situations where I'm not able to attend my own concert, so it's not easy to control everything or to tell what is happening. Actually, you know what I was at that was yours the other day was that opening you had, but I made the huge mistake of going on the opening day. So I'm like ready to like take in your sound installation, which I really enjoyed everybody there's like a bar and people are talking it's incredible it's actually even for just a room with people in it it's a loud room it was a party almost yeah uh well i really cannot say because i had to fly from basel that evening and i arrived quite uh late as i discovered lately when i joined the uh opening around quarter to ten and it was not so many people around so it was pretty quiet when i arrived there but people told me that it was pretty loud situation and as you're describing like a reception and it's, it's very difficult I think um, the openings are more like I would say it's more like an event yeah, what's like the best time to get like day three day four I think is it's the really, one you can well in this case it was only was running the exhibition for for three days so definitely you should go on day three otherwise okay. you <laughs> missed it um it's really hard to say. I do like to go to the openings because you get to see sort of reactions of the audience to pe- to the works. It's quite like a special situation, you know. It's like a, if it's a new work, you get to see how people react to it. Even if they are not able to really listen to it or um, look at it properly. If it's in, or- in order for me to properly hear this installation, I had to put my ear directly up to the different tubes to get the different pitches i will say that the ici it's um it's a rather different situation it was a specific spot where its artist was given so you had uh, certain limitations if i may say uh, but it was actually funny people were saying that it was the loudest one in the room you know the the sound sculpture that other ones had headphones okay nobody's exactly. going to know what we're talking about okay quickly <laughs> people are like what <laughs> are you talking about this is actually right behind of you on the wall oh yeah right there, there it is yeah and it's a piece that i i made in collaboration with pair so maybe while we are like you know waiting for the phone call I give you a bit of information. Well, I mean, the uh, but he's on the phone right now, right? He's on the phone right now. Yeah. Would, whatever, just okay. describe it now. Because I need to use it if we're going to talk about it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. so it's... Uh, well, this is something that was based on some experimentations I've done like years ago with trying to modify uh, what we call string drum. So, a member phone. So, I, I replace basically the 
drum head with an elastic membrane. The nice thing was that since I've been together with Pear and both as partners and working together as well, I've had more access to mechanical uh, systems or um, motor-driven systems and so on. So there was that something that normally will be performed played by a performer now I, I could use mechanisms to activate this. what does he do I mean it's weird because he's on the other side of this wall yes right now. it is weird so it would be weird if you describe it's like for the... him but, but uh, you should you should do it because you collaborate with him so well yeah. uh, he's uh, Pei has a background in sound art but uh, in the last uh, five years he's more took the direction to kinetic art and uh, visual art he had a of course like uh, funny we both had a common interest, but I think that I will do as part of my compositions. You know, I will ask performers to move carefully, like little pieces of paper or certain different objects. Pay will definitely will create these systems where a mechanism is actually moving this paper, for example. So it was quite interesting discovery for me because um, on one hand you have an idea and you need to communicate this idea to the performance, I mean, it's a, it's a very different situation, but there are similar sounds that you're trying to achieve so, at so, the same time. So does it normally work? You have the idea and then he has the technical know-how to execute it? Because I thought this was all, I, I didn't know yeah. it was a collaboration. I thought this was all you. And I was like, how does she know how to work these motors? Like, where did you get this training to understand how motors work like that? But I guess yeah. it's him, right? And it, well, you're, you're like... It's me also partly like working for him as well because I'm very involved in his working process and also being an observer, you know, like as you can see, we live together and we work, we work in the same environment and we literally like live next to our machines, <laughs> to his machines and some of my smaller machines. So, uh, well, particularly the, this this work, which is uh, called Untitled 2, it's been, the, my idea was to uh, come up with a setup of sound objects which can be pre uh, present in the format of a, a solo live piece as an instrument then, and both as a sound sculpture. So that was my main intention. I want to see how this can coexist, how, what happens if I want to make uh, sounds out of it, and use it as a piece, as a composition piece, and what happens if I want to present it as a, as a sound sculpture. You know, it's funny because at the ex exhibition, I was thinking that yours was the most, oh, this is someone who does sound sculptures, but I could almost tell that you were coming from a compositional background mm -hmm. the most. And it's not like the other people weren't, I think there was another part of composers, but it was just very conceptual and there wasn't any type of kind of, I mean, it's like these tiny little lines roars at different pitches and different speeds and it works mm -hmm. really well. Mm -hmm. How did you, let's start with your background a little bit. Like, mm -hmm. did you start out as a notes on a page composer? I mean, what's the story of how you ended up in between mm -hmm. these two worlds and doing something like, unique mm -hmm. like this? I went to a um, music school, you know, a conservatory in Greece. And then about um, 18 years ago, I moved to London to study and um, so I did my studies there, my bachelor and my master's in composition. And where, where in London? That was at Goldsmiths College. Did they incur? Like, were you were you still at that point? Pencil, dots, lines, 
symbols, paper, musicians? Uh, lots of symbols. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Definitely lots of symbols because I was right from the very beginning. I, I wanted to. I work with prepare instruments. So when you comes to you know like seeking in, uh, papers or objects, and you have to you. You have to find another way. So I've already like trying to come up with different types of notations, always for the sake to communicate, you know, your ideas in the best way you can. And uh, at Goldsmiths, uh, I was there for five years, and I studied with Roger Redgate, uh, who is more into uh, new complexity. Okay. Study with uh, Fernho. And at that time, it was, I will say, uh, prepare instruments and kind of complex uh, musical situations in terms of like uh, rhythms. Actually, not complex rhythms, but like more a combination of rhythms that they will lead into a complex uh, rhythmical result. Wait, I don't know. I'm not sure I understand that. Well, what I mean is like I was not using like I wasn't writing like new complexity kind of music okay. but I was more interested in like how simple rhythms uh, if you group them together uh, in combination with the special preparations and they would sort of lead into a, a complex musical uh, sound. Do you mean like a ligety poly, you know, a micro polyphony type thing or? Um, not necessary. It was more what I was on top of that, it was because I was always like, was trying to put the performer into a, a situation where he had to react at the very moment. So it was the kind of preparations where you couldn't necessarily, you couldn't rely that this sound will come, will happen each time you're playing. So it was more like you had to find your way. To make the sounds, and on top of that, it was something a kind of in combination with other instruments. It was becoming kind of complex rhythmically, and it, oh, okay. so it was a, more like creating very unpractical situations for the performer. I will say, I put it in this way. Okay, so it's the piece is supposed to be the struggle of the yes of the players. It was more like for the sake to. And make th uh, like creating some kind of other ways of communication within the ensemble. So sometimes I will say, like for instance, that you've got this action, and if this uh, includes that and this and this, but you've got to sort of listen to another instrument and blend this together, or at this very moment. But that instrument was highly modified. It was hard even to. Uh, recognize the pitch so it was a kind of questioning like what is that you really want you know sometimes i will have this uh, question was the result stable from performance to performance do you know what i mean when oh, i say that, that? Was, you know from the time i was a student there i think that would be impossible to answer because i can literally count on one hand the performance i had so how many Three. Probably three. <laughs> okay, yeah. And uh, that was really, um, that was my own struggle, you know, like trying to find people that not could play necessarily, but it was mostly to bring everybody in the same room. Yeah, yeah. and it's hard to, and, and it's hard to find people who are into that, you know. A lot of performers yes. want to get up there and, you know, understandably so almost, to have something predictable and look good and they don't want to look like they're struggling and it's not, you know, it's not about that for them. But it's hard to find people who are into like 
dealing with impossible situations in a live performance scenario? Well, I think there's nothing wrong with that. You know, it's like some people, they need some sort of, not security, but that's the way they want to do things. And that's absolutely fine. And there will be times that, also I think as a young composer, uh, back then it was, you know, like when you, I'm sure you know from your, like you have all these ideas and that you're so, you know, like you have this huge desire to put all these ideas on one piece. And a lot of time is like, it takes time to realize that you need to give space. Huh? And there would be times that I, if you have a piece for 15 people, even if you, to just to bring them in the same room and find time for them to rehearse, it's, it's a task, I think. It's also that there, there will be times that I will find some of them, some performers that they will, they could really sense what I was after. And luckily also my teacher as well, which is really important. But then this is what I'm describing. I think it's more like a situation similar to a workshop situation. So it's almost impossible to do such thing and trying to squeeze that into one hour, two hours rehearsals. And luckily, if you get this. You were in the UK, you were in London for five years. Actually, I spent eight years. Eight years. In total. And yeah. you could count the number of performances on one hand within the eight years. Is that yeah. discouraging somehow? I would imagine that that is. Sometimes you I see, have there like... Was a lot I... of, there, was a, there was some confusion. I mean, Goldsmiths College, it's, it's, one, it's, it's a great school. Uh, there are, you find people very open-minded. There's a lot of freedom. At least I, I was treated like this. It certainly sounded like you had a lot of freedom. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, nobody Definitely. was stopping you from doing very crazy things. Yeah, it's certainly like the, one of the craziest pieces it was performed, you know, so no complaints if I had the... But, but this is also normal because this was played by some of my friends. This is, this is, I think that's what I'm describing is a pretty normal situation that you start to create your own network slowly, slowly, and you start to search for the right people. For those that you want not just to have your music performed, but also have dinner later, you know, and yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that's how it works. And I was also lucky to come across to a, a Edis Prevost improvisation workshop, uh, which I joined in December 99. And uh, that was a place where I will regularly visit almost every Friday night. And then I start improvising myself. And so I will be more involved in like making my own pieces and performing my own kind of uh, music. But there were all kinds of reasons why probably I couldn't get uh, performances, uh, but I was also not uh, willing to compromising. So wait, do you do uh, that? Well. Do you, well, okay. So, you know, let, so let, let, it was get, not a matter of also like whether there was somebody there to play, but... Uh, often performance, I had uh, nice commissions also, you know, like Corrado Canonici asked me to write a piece while I was still a student and it was later performing in New York. So I had performances elsewhere. But I right. have to say the first four years, there was not much. And it was after I went to Darmstadt, like that was the first workshop I attended in 2000. And I think that was the moment for me where I started like getting commissions and start having performances so what happened you went you went there and then you presented your stuff and people were into it and then it, that was the moment that people that you found the group of people that were interested in what you were doing 
Well, that was the moment I thought, thank goodness I'm not the only one in this world that wants to do some sort of stuff like this. You were completely, you were completely unaware of well, that world before you went there. Well, I was partly aware, thanks to my teacher, Roger Edgett, because uh, he also studied in Germany, in Freiburg, and so... We would have these classes where we would listen to Lahemann or Xanakis or other kind of uh, works. And But, I mean, getting to see this kind of music was not really that often that, you know, in London at that time, at least. Now things are changing, of course. But even in Darmstadt, I mean, I was quite... How can I put it in this way? I was, I don't know, it was quite harsh when I was listening to something I was so demanding ridiculously demanding, like I would listen to something and I would feel like, oh, why why, why are you doing this? Why? No. Like, so That's cr- the right environment you know? for that, though, because yeah, people definitely. are very aggressive. I'm sure definitely. people welcome that type of criticism. But I remember I was like, even like walking out from uh, certain concerts, you know? No, I, I refused to Oh, you were one me. of those? I was one of those, and I was like, how stupid of you, you know, doing such things. Did you boo? Because people boo no, sometimes. No, no, I wouldn't do that. But I did go to almost like I, I was counting like 150 concerts, you know, in two weeks. And... Uh, That's too much. It was, it's too much. I did Darmstadt in 2004. And uh, I was like, I was young and I was like, I'm going to go to everything. Yeah. And I tried to go to everything. And then I think like a week and a half in, I had a little bit of a breakdown at a, yeah. a guitar concert. And I looked at the program, there were like 40 pieces. And what the guitarist was doing, he was just playing like five or ten pieces immediately one after one after another. It's but I didn't, I didn't know that. So I thought the first one-fourth of the program was the, was the first one-fortieth of the program. <laughs> and not only that, but the piece made no sense to me because it was like, that was just like five different like little miniatures. And mm-hmm. I, like, I was like, I can't take Darmstadt. And then I just left and I, I think I stayed in my hotel room for like two days and... Wow, good and then, for you. And then I, then I got back, but yeah, so... Good for so you. So you I went didn't. to all those concerts? I went to all those concerts, and on top of that, I had a piece, a uh, trio for brass instruments, uh, one of my works performed, and then I did a performance, and I also made an installation. All this in two weeks. That's ambitious. Very ambitious, indeed. But I was so... I was hungry for like, you know, I wanted to do things. I was like, you know, it was more that I got so inspired. And I found some great people there that uh, later on I worked for years. And I felt that it was right. It was the moment, you know. And How old were you at the time? I was 26. Okay. No, it's, no it's, that's, that's a moment. You can have a yeah. moment at that age. Yeah. yeah. And I re- literally felt that, okay, I'm just here for this. And uh, it was very determined and but i have to say like uh i i joined this workshop with uh, christina kubish and this was where part of that we were 10 or 12 of us that we had to make an installation and it was so crazy because uh, the opening was like the day before the last day and on the last day i had my piece performed and uh, I remember that uh, Christina was saying, you can't do everything. I was like, yes, I can. Absolutely. Oh, Why wow. not? Okay. And it was so funny because I, I arrived, uh, I went to check my installation the day before the opening and my amplifier was gone. Somebody literally walked in my space and took my amplifier. And I, so I arrived just before the opening. I have no amplifier. I, I don't know how to play my sounds and so on. 
And anyways, I, I found my way somehow. Wait, did someone take it? Yes, yeah, someone took it. You know, it's a wild... Like thievery or... Well, they, somebody needed to have an extra amplifier. I wasn't there. And these things can happen. I mean, it was a wild situation, you know, not so many equipments, blah, 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 whatsoever. I was shocked. You know, I wouldn't do that. But it happened. And it was this, this was in a kind of like a factory, like outside dumpster, whatever, maybe somebody else. I, I, can't, I can't say. But you, all okay, I, so you never even got it back. No. So it was, it was really crazy. Cause, uh, but I, at the end, I managed to play things uh, differently through headphones and it worked very well. I was, I was lucky that the piece worked well. But right there, I realized maybe Christina was right. Why am I trying to do all these three different things, like having a piece perform, an installation, and doing a performance at the same time. Now I know why. I mean, it's, it was all these three different situations that I was interested in. It was not just the composition or the performance, me performing or the installation. It was how I act within these different setups. So what do you do after that? What do you do after that? Is this is 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 this the story of how you came to the thing on the you know the untitled yeah, two on the I wall? Think so. Okay, so how I think so. so how is that a combination of those three things that you were trying to do in Darmstadt? Well, first of all, at the installation, I use um, some founded objects, things that I found at the factory, and uh, I had really limited time because I was working on these other two things. In parallel. So I literally said, okay, I'm gonna collect some objects that I found in the space and place them on the floor. And then I, as I said, maybe an hour, so I had to uh, decide, all right, I'm gonna improvise. I'm gonna think about what kind of signs I want to have, how those signs are related to the space. And so I thought, okay, ready, go, press, record. And it was actually quite good. I have to say, I mean, sometimes when you don't have too much time, you have less time to question things. So you have to be very intuitive and you have to react at this very moment. So that was one situation of like working with objects. And that was something that I was doing already as an improviser because I was playing with daily life objects. And in my composition, I, I always use prepared instruments. It was always this... Areas. Yeah, even in, even in the UK when you're working yeah, with yeah, the, from, you know, from, yeah, at the college, yeah. yeah. at the college. But somehow, going back to the Untitled 2, it was like, again, how can I use this? How can I generate sounds? How this particular instrument could act as a musical instrument, as a sound instrument? And then, as I said, it's like, if I bring it into a different context... What kind of challenges I have? Different challenges. If it's a sound object, fair enough. How do I present this? What size? Is it mounted on the wall? Is it played on a podium? So if you, you, you've got other th parameters. You've got other things to, cons to take it into consideration.
What comes first? Um, the, the idea for the object or the context and the opportunity that you... Do, do you know what I mean when mm -hmm, I say that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what comes first? I because, think... because, because Untitled 2, that is a sound installation gallery. Uh, it's on the wall. Yes. You go up totally. to it. You decide how long you stay there or how close you're going to get to it. You can walk around it. You can walk away and discuss it, go back to it again. Did the opportunity to be, did the gallery approach you and you said, okay, I think I know what to do? Well, or did you come up with that idea and you're like, this would be good for a gallery? You know, this this is a kind of long process, uh, actually, because that little uh, modified drum, it literally came after some years of using this as a preparation for other instruments. So uh, I've used this elastic membrane on a flute, the mouthpiece flute. I use it, for example, um, in different situations within for different uh, purposes in compositions. Wait, if so you, was, I'm sorry, yeah, this sorry. is the, me being a nerd now. Wait, if so, if you put that on a flute, or just the mouthpiece of a flute, but if you put it on a regular flute and you fingered it and you did different so, fingerings, you get different yeah, pitches, right? Exactly, which, okay. which, which I did with uh, Q and G. I replaced the plexiglass tubes, basically the little drum, with real uh, wind instruments. Uh, so I don't know if you've seen the block flute and that I made the piece with the QNG. So it was uh, another time I used this within another. I was always like, I had this kind of preparation, this kind of, I don't know how would you call it other than preparation, like a little oh. object, sound object, right? Yeah. So for me, like it actually led to a, a, an installation work, which I had last year at Solitude, where I literally replace the um, the drum with a real wooden panel, which is uh, which was actually blocking a window, and that was becoming my membrane, huh? my surface. Right. So you made it out of the schloss. Yeah, this was at schloss. It was a very peculiar situation. There was this room where they had these seven windows, and they they wanted to block them, you know, because they they usually have like some video works over there. So they put like just in front of the window they put this wooden panel. So I literally like uh, screw um, a metal thing and put a string over it. So I created a, a friction drum. A and it was, it was crazy. It was fascinating because, so it was more like this discovery, you know. Did it, wait, did it work? Was like the it room, worked. was like the room yes, resonated? The, yes, absolutely. So I, I use a mechanism again, similar mechanism with colophonium and, activate now these windows, right? So the whole room was vibrating, basically. That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> it was really, uh, and it just, it happened. You know? Do you walk around looking at everything? You're like, I could put a membrane on that and like <laughs> make, much, like, and just, make it, and make it, well, I wonder, I wonder what this sounds yes. like. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's part of like, as I said, because I like to see how something that one of my discoveries or, or a sound which I like, which I enjoy, how if you bring in different contexts, how it reacts to this a different environment, I mean, you different have, situations. You have, you have membrane brain. <laughs> yeah, membrane. Yeah. That's a good term, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. Membrane. So going back to the decisions and the installation, you see, for me, it was like I came across to this gallery in Berlin, the Mario Maggioli Gallery, which was a few years ago. And uh, when I first visited the gallery, it, it, it's a sound art gallery. And there are not many sound art galleries in Berlin, although sound art is very big in, in Berlin. 
and some somehow I I sensed that this could be a place. This could be an ideal place for me. And then I gathered some other artists, uh, also pair, uh, Brandon Labelle and Andy Grenon. And I said, come on, guys, let's make a solo to, a, a show together. And they quite liked the idea. So we put a proposal and we talked to Mario. And that was the moment for me that I was, I had the Untitled 2 at that moment as a instrument. And that was actually, I made this piece for Pear because he's a really great performer, very sensitive and somebody who knows where I'm coming from, of course. So yeah, he's one of your guys, yeah. Exactly. He's my guy. Yeah, yeah, he's the, <laughs> he's yeah, the he, he's the guy. Of course he's going to know. Yeah. yeah. And that was the, the case for me, like, all right, I felt that since I was working with him and he was the sort of uh, mechanism or the, um, we worked the design or uh, it was more like speaking to, you know, like reflecting his work that moment. So it was, it was actually made sense to present this as a collaborative work, of course. And it was, uh, f- for me, I want to see, okay, once I decide to present this as a sound sculpture, let's see now what happens. It was another discovery. It was like observing yourself in a, the other way around. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like, nobody's playing this now. You have to find the mechanism itself has to act as a performer. And I wanted to have something organic, but not so mechanic, you know, so repetitive. So I wanted to have some kind of something that will sound with, with some changes in the, in the sound itself. But then in order for this to work, I don't know how I'm going to let people, well, I'll use the recording of it, I guess, that mm-hmm. you gave me. But in, in, in order for that to change, you just have to change perspective on it, right? You just have to move around the thing and get the different pitches, right? Well, you can, as an instrument, you can control the tension. You can increase the tension if you pull, if you stretch the nylon line, and then the membrane is also stretched. Uh, you can also literally play on the membrane, like as you play a drum, like pressing the membrane or placing your finger against the membrane or close the bottom end of the tube and so on. Wait, I'm you, a bit, I'm a bit, yeah. we are talking about the thing on the wall the right thing now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I got the sense that you're not supposed to touch that. Oh, no, not as a sound sculpture, but okay, as no, an but instrument. As an instrument, okay. As an instrument, it exists like just outside the frame. So you place it on a table, on a, on a surface, mm-hmm. solid for surface. And as a sculpture, you can, I can decide like how much I want to stretch it. And, but once I fix it, it's pretty fixed. Yeah. However, you still have to maintain it. You still have to apply rosing. You you still have to, uh, from time to time, you have to, uh, put some rosing in as like, otherwise it doesn't work. There's no friction. Therefore, there's no sound. So it's it's not just a sound sculpture. You just place it on the wall and then that's it. It works as it is. So it has this kind of elements of an instrument a little bit for the reasons that I mentioned earlier. But at the same time, there there are many choices. I, I could, for for instance, I could decide if I want to change, use an Arduino, which is changing the speed. It slows it down or it speeds it up. I could choose, I have three different motors with uh, um, slow uh, medium and fast speed. So you have other kind of choices or other kind of options and, and other things to decide on. So from that sense, it is a little bit like a kind of composition still. 
There are oh, no, some. I saw it. Yeah, I mean, yeah I, that's I why going back it, to what you yeah. said that it was, uh, it sounded more like a piece made by I don't know. You said yeah. something composer or uh, or like a composition or it has well, some elements. Know, well, you know, this is this was what was happening in my head when I was putting my ear up to it. You mm -hmm. know, like, oh, this is the kind of sound that I get from just experimenting with a violin or something like mm -hmm. that, like that type of experimentation. But the direction I would go with it would be, how do I put this in the context of a piece? Mm -hmm. So in other words, I would hear, uh, I'm just going to throw out a generic new mm -hmm. music sound, but like a scratching sound on cello or something like mm -hmm. that. And I'd be like, oh, what a great sound. I'm going to write a piece and then like, I'm going to have the cello section like scratch at, you know, at some point. But you, you like, for me, you were just like, what a great sound. You know, maybe I can make an installation out of this. And because of that, you can remove the cello and just make an instrument that replicates that scratching sound. Mm -hmm. But we, we start out the same kind of discovery and then we just go in two completely different directions. That's what I meant by, oh, it's like something a composer, a composer would do, you know. But, yeah. the other, but the other pieces in that gallery didn't have that. They were very conceptual and there was no, it sounds like, oh, this is a great idea that I have in my head and there's no like discovering of a... I see what you uh, mean. Of yeah. A process. Yeah. Uh, well, Where? actually, at the moment, I'm working on a few other sound works. For I have a show in Japan, and it's a, a two-person show together with Pe. And um, this is what I would like to. I um, want to challenge myself with that, like to see if this is where I want what I want to do and uh, I mean even with uh, compositions it's quite interesting that I've, I had always visual artists will come and say but you're so visual <laughs> your works are very visual like yeah. and, and it's true because I've always chose sounds which are, I found they're interesting and they have certain quality but for some reasons I, I, I don't know why but I will never ask a performer to do a physical bodily gesture which uh, let's say wouldn't have a kind of quality visual quality in it or i would never pick up some preparations that they will not be interesting as objects itself. it's funny because huh? i think a lot of composers do think of just the pure sound that are not thinking about the gesture I, that's created I, on stage and it looks so dumb it, you're it like doesn't oh work. this is, ruins everything exactly yeah. because it's 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 you cannot separate these two from each other The, Not the, in my case. The I worst think... one for me is like the uh, the string bow going in the air making a whoosh. Yeah. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm not saying you can't make that gesture work within a piece, but you weren't thinking about it and now it looks dumb and it took me out of the whole experience. It, You know, maybe, I don't know, maybe on the other hand it takes a courage that you're, you, you can sacrifice some other elements for the sake of this particular sound. I think it's more But, bad composing, honestly. No, yeah, yeah. I, When you don't think of when it, you don't think of the visual aspect of well, the piece. Okay, let, let's put it in this way. I think first of all you have to if you isolate this as a gesture, that's one thing to to be critical into this and say, okay, this as a as a one gesture, what do I like about it? Then you have to think within the context of this composition, does it work? Because there there are times that for instance like something that i could be very interesting like uh pina bausch the music uh, the uh, dance theater and she always uh, was reading this book about like the meaning of repetition something that could look very silly if you 
through repetition can gain some kind of meaning. So I think it's complicated. It's complicated to say, I have the same similar reaction. You know, I have a similar reaction. But I think mostly it's when I sense that this comes as a decoration and there was not a very good understanding about the meaning of this event. Why is it there? What's the reason of doing this? Then I have problems with that. But in general, I think for me, I really like to maintain a kind of more elegant style of performing. It's something that it's almost look like a um, ceremony. And very often my pieces, they come maybe across a bit like static, like, you know, lately. But for me, this also helps to maintain this kind of more concentrated sound that I'm trying to achieve, but also like this more focused, concentrated attitude in general, performance, uh, performing attitude. But definitely, I might find a nice sound, but if physically it doesn't look right, or if the object doesn't have the right shape as an object itself, um, I would not use it. Where do you you think you're more well-received and successful, the concert hall or an an installation-type? performance because um, because you're saying oh they've become off as static lately well you know static well, is okay if you can spend as much time with it as you want and then walk away but well, in the concert hall you're trapped the concert hall situation it's highly demanding in many ways i would say you have specific length people need to they can easily miss it you need to uh, have the right conditions acoustic conditions and also accidents can happen all kinds of things but on the other hand it has this beauty of bringing everybody together at this very moment and sharing this and it's it's more like that the audience and the moment and the the place it makes everything it's not just the music it's this uh how how would you say um collective yeah uh, yeah, experience It can be great. I mean, there have been great moments like this that I've experienced both as listening to my music, but other kinds of music as well. In an installation situation, it's different because I have a different sense of control. First of all, it's something that I made myself. It's not relying on the performer. So it maybe don't know it's relying on mechanisms with its own technology, which is another case. Uh, the advantage of this situation is that the length, it's, it's much, uh, the duration of the installation, it gives also to me, to myself, time to observe this, what I made. Because if you have a piece for 10 minutes, it's gone. After 10 minutes, it's gone. And you don't know when we'll get a performance, if I've had pieces that they only perform once. And because of all kinds of special yeah. situations or yeah. preparations, they de- they're very demanding or yeah. what whatsoever. And then also, like you, if you get a bad recording of it and someone coughs in the middle, or if you don't all of a sudden that performed. cough is part of the piece if you're giving if you're giving yes, it to people. And, yeah. and you know, you just have to learn how to live with that. But for practical reasons, but also for almost educational reasons, because you. As an artist, you, it's really important to observe your work, to, to spend time with your work. And this is what I discovered, that I can do this. Like, for example, with the installation I had at Solitude, I had to tune it almost every day. 
and temperature was changing dramatically and it's a basement and I had to be there. I had to be with it. I spent weeks with my work. Yeah, now, you can't do that with an ensemble because they're like, no. we have, we're hungry. We have to go. It's <laughs> I have it's kids impossible. at home. Yeah. But also, I mean, usually you can't do this as well with an installation because you don't live next to the gallery or, you know, if you, if it's, you don't have access and so on. But, but on the other hand, this piece exists. It runs for a few weeks at least. And I think that was, extremely valuable which one is i mean I'm, i kind of uh, am assuming an answer here so feel free to just say i'm wrong but yes. which one do you think is better for improving i think both i think both situations for me are necessary because they each time they challenge me in different ways and each time they push uh, you know everything to the edge that's very interesting because you have you know your motors can stay silent there they don't complain i can i'm running for too long although sometimes they they can also <laughs> uh, stop running but then you have a performer who can the way it also it, just just simple how it holds something it tells you immediately oh oh that's funny it's, I wouldn't do it like this. That's interesting. Or I remember when uh, pay, uh, we, we work on some devices for a piece I had in uh, operate, uh, it's called operator for ensemble mosaic. And we realized we made things uh, for left handed because pay is a left handed. Oh, really? You know, and that was funny. That was funny to discover, you know. And then I realized Wait, that. Did you fix it though? You must have had to fix it, right? I think we had to fix one, yeah, uh, one or two. But also, some of the, uh, I'd use a motor which you find in the car. It's this, how do you call this? These things to clean the, the uh, windshield wiper. Yes, exactly. And uh, what happened was like, this mechanism was quite heavy for me. And I was saying, well, it's really heavy. I mean, to, to hold this and to keep it steady because I was working with some really like static, like minimal movements. And I said, wow, this is quite demanding for the body to hold this. For some time, you know, uh, you've got to think that if I make something and this will be used by a performer, okay, for how long somebody can hold this? Uh, if it's for insulation, you don't think about that. You think about the construction where it will be solid or strong enough. So I think for me, all the, this, both situations are very helpful. Do you just basically work with, I mean, it's got to be percussionists who are the best, the people who are working, you're working with most, right? Yes. It's, uh, Is your dream like a percussion ensemble? Then you can be like, oh my God, everybody, I get to make an instant, instrument for everybody. Well, actually, I mean, percussion players, they have some, I will say, okay, the difference between percussion players and other uh, musicians. They are used to deal with lots of stuff, lots of objects, different objects. They don't necessarily, they travel with their own uh, instruments, but very often they play with whatever it's available they share instruments a lot of instruments they they they're not for made for specific instrumentation so they have to find their own instruments or yeah. build their own instruments so these are the people that they have to discover and rediscover their yeah, instrument yeah, yeah. Right? it just seems like the the instrument with the most suitable mentality for what you do the violin player is like well yeah. i'm not playing the violin now but <laughs> the, but they are also the people that they can totally rely on their body what they need is their fingers. That's what they, they can make 
they are flexible. They learn how to the relation to the body and the object, the instrument. Oh, okay. So I think it's, I, I don't know. I think it's quite interesting because it's like whatever you place the per- percussionist, he, he, he can anytime he can make something. Not the violin player or wind instrument. Or... But do you do, like? Do you think of an instrumentalist and you're like, okay, here is a preparation that would be good for them. So you wouldn't. Mm-hmm. How, how do I say this? You wouldn't give a violinist a task where they have to blow into something. No, no. But they would be. But you would give them something that has lots of tapping or you know, um, some, something that's using their fingers. And the same goes for I don't know, like. Um, trying to think of instruments like a trombone player you wouldn't wouldn't, maybe you wouldn't necessarily give him lots of tapping but you would give him some type of thing that would use his skill yes it has to uh, for for some you know i have requests from ensembles that they say we don't have the exactly set up but uh, maybe uh, wind player can do the percussion part or like I have a piece for a trio it's for percussion players it's called Kind Tema that was uh, developed at UCSD and it was uh, commissioned by Stephen Schick and this is involves some ceramic balls with a very special sound and marbles and a few other objects uh, very small amount of objects and I do have musicians that they're not necessarily percussion players but they say we would like to play this and there I get a bit confused. In general, when I see wind instrument, wind uh, players uh, playing some percussive sounds they make, because I think it's, I think it's wrong. It's not just everybody can just pick up a mallet and make a sound. But, yeah. but it happens. I see this. Or I see that some extra activities that, for me, like, I always like whatever I do. I like to actually highlight this. A relationship between the performer and his instrument is quite important, even if it does something outside the fixed frame. In a way, in a way, that's like that's good orchestration, isn't it? Like you should teach an orchestration class. Well, like, but like a weird orchestration class because yeah, probably because because when you what you learn in orchestration class is like okay, the flute. This is the range of the flute. Don't do this. This is what they're good at. If they're this high, there's all these things that you can do to make it easier for them to better perform and it's almost the same way you're doing it when you're giving them quote tasks you should teach an orchestration class called tasks tasks unconventional tasks yeah. for the orchestra well f- for example like untitled 4 this is uh, comes after untitled 2 which was made for uh, which was written for QNG and I replaced the plexiglass tubes with the block flute and with the recorders right they don't blow into the instrument at all but they're still, and somebody could say, but a percussion player can do this. And I was saying, doing and making and playing, they are different things. And for me, it was more like I wanted to really bring this, uh, reveal this relationship they had with their instrument, even if it was used in an unconventional, completely unconventional way. It was very important because... The way even they place the, uh, their fingers on the keys, the way they control the sound of their instrument, their understanding, the engagement, it's all about that. So I wouldn't give this to percussion players, for example. But on the other hand, when I have this piece with the plexiglass tubes, I will give it to a percussion player. But it's very close to a friction drum also, right? Makes sense. But... Um, sometimes I remember another piece that I had, uh, Untitled 3, 
and uh, it, it's for a piano. I remember the pianist was saying, because I had the mechanism inside the piano, he was like, don't tell me that the, all I have to do is switching on and off things. Am I going to play a little bit? You know, I had this reaction and I was like, trust me, once you activate one of these mechanisms, it doesn't mean that because you're using a mechanism, you will lose your ability or you will lose your, the opportunity to expose your relationship with the instrument. That's really what I'm after, but, yeah, but in maybe a she more, wants, yeah. more subtle or no, not less direct way. Yeah, but maybe she wants to also expose her virtuosity with the instrument. So well, pe is, people it, get people get impressed when they sit down in front of the piano and they do really fast arpe you know, arpeggios, you know. Yeah, but I actually think that could be very fascinating to somebody playing very slowly, extremely slowly. That could be also virtuosity. I don't know, keeping one finger on, on the air and holding this moment, because that could be a challenge for, for a performer to make it interesting for me to watch him for hours. But I understand, sure, like, um, luckily there were other pieces in the program. So I said, you know, you have some other pieces there that you can prove how well you can play the piano. But in my case, it's more about to reveal how well you can react, how you can act and react to what is happening in that very moment in that situation in relation to the instrument. Because later on, he actually discovered that to control this, this mechanism which activates strings and so on, it was actually quite tricky. And it really demanded highly f uh, concentration and he had to, he had to support this with his own body as well. Because he was literally, when you say it's like, okay, is he really doing something? You know? So you're very exposed in that sense. Was he convinced at the end? Yes, but it took some time. Time like fighting or? Well, it took time because these things, they take time. You know? They, it takes some time for the setup. It takes uh, time to understand what it is about. When you take it from venue to venue, from piano to piano, then you have to literally, like, literally have to see, okay, different piano. Mm, this mechanism doesn't fit on this. What do we do? Yeah, how yeah. we, how we get it? Uh, oh, and the flow uh, is yeah. not straight. Oh, so it doesn't balance. And so, so many variables when it comes to pianos too. Like, oh my God, there's a big metal bar in the middle of it now. Yes, exactly. Oh my God, and what do you do there? There's five sections instead of four, you know? But, but, you know, it's like, why things shouldn't take time? Or why we think of this as a negative, you know, factor that it takes time? I mean, to learn a piece by a complex piece, it takes months. It takes a lot of time. And we are dealing with time. That's the funny thing. Like, we are... Music doesn't exist without time. It's, it's, it's normal. Yeah, but the thing is, I, th I think there actually is a practical answer to why people, when people get a little bit aggravated as to that, is that because as, as musicians, you're not making pieces of art and selling them, and you're doing gig after gig after gig, and you yeah. practically don't have time to do that. Like, if everybody in that program was like you... He would have maybe have had to spend all this time. It was a crazy working, program. yeah, working on, yeah, yeah, working on yeah. just that program, like six months, seven months, and that means those are other gigs that he can't do that yeah. he might need to do. And I think, I mean, artistically, I agree completely with what you're saying. It is fascinating stuff, but there is a kind of practicality that bumps up against that. Well, the other thing is, um, 
sometimes what I found is not so useful when it comes to concerts or, or the way that the new music is presented is the fact that most of the times it's presented in the context of a concert. And I think, for example, my piece would be very interesting if we had like a, a day where people can just walk in, we can explain what it is, we can show them how it works, uh, they can listen to it at the end. So we actually have the time ourselves and people can join and they can observe or, you know, being active listeners also. Or And if you have a concert at the end of the day, also they have a better understanding, but they can sympathize with it. They know that, yeah. you know. And also this, this takes a lot of stress out, I think, from the performer because they have to, as you were saying, they need to go on stage and they... Uh, no mistakes or whatsoever. I mean, we're still like, uh, I'm surprised that we are still like allergic to mistakes. Yeah, something about virtuosity and yeah, it's, skill level. And, it's yeah. strange. Well, we've been talking for a while. I think that's a good place to end it. Yeah. Okay. Th thank you for doing this. No, th thank you. And uh, it's great to have you here. And uh, I'm happy that we make this happen. Yeah, it was cool. Thank you yeah. so much.